You are listening to a podcast from gravitychurch.com, Lodi, California. Can I get a show of hands, the guys that showed up last week? We had probably 16 people. Did you guys enjoy it? It was cool. I really, I was glad that I was there, and we're hoping for a lot of great stuff to happen. So if you guys know a guy that's interested in coming, kind of nudge him a little bit and tell him about it. And it's 7 o'clock on Monday nights. Also, excuse me, we have women's meetings also. Um, a lot of great stuff happening. God's connecting the dots in a lot of ways. So if you guys want updates on everything, you can check us out on Facebook. Um, we have a link on our website, gravitychurch.com. And uh, it's all on there. So history. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about history. Did you guys pay attention to history in, in high school? It, it wasn't my best subject. It was, it was like one of the worst subjects. So tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about history. Before that, I want to talk to you about some stuff that happened today in history. I, uh, I've been checking out this thing on my phone. It's a day in history. I'm just going to read it to you. It's kind of funny. They're real quick. 1856. You got 1856, Brad? In 1856... May 22nd, a congressman named Preston Smith Brooks beat Senator Charles Sumner with a wooden walking walking cane in the Senate chamber. Three days earlier, Sumner accused a relative of Brooks for embracing slavery and mocked him for a physical handicap. At first, he was going to challenge him to a duel, but his friend told him that dueling is for guys of equal social standards, and this guy was a lesser class because he was talking coarse in his speech. So he decided to beat him with a cane. 1856. Uh, in 1906, you got 1906? Patent number 821393 describing a flying machine was granted to the Wright brothers, credited with inventing and building the world's first successful airplane and making the first controlled, powered, sustained, heavier than air human flight. And because of their work today, the world's a smaller place. A little bit of science for you. 1960, 50 years ago, the great Chilean earthquake struck off the coast of Chile. It's a red dot on there. Pay attention to this one because we're going to talk about earthquakes. Today, it's the most powerful earthquake ever recorded, rating 9.5 on the moment magnitude scale. It caused local, local tsunamis that battered the Chilean coast with waves up to 82 feet. Waves as high as 35 feet were recorded 6,000 miles away. So quite a ways away they felt the uh, cause of this. And last but not least, 1980, Happy birthday, Pac-Man. You guys remember Pac-Man? Today is Pac-Man's birthday. Immensely popular in the U.S. from its original release to the present day. Pac-Man is considered one of the classics and an icon of 80s popular culture. History. History can be a touchy, touchy subject, right? Not everyone wants to talk about history, particularly their own history. You know, like you don't want to start opening yourself up, right? See, we have moments that we would rather forget about. Some of us have, have times in our life where we would like to be able to go back and just relive that one day again. Maybe that one day we would do things just a little bit different, right? And if we did that, things might be better today. If we could, if we could just press rewind and just start all over. Maybe there's a whole course of things. But uh, I want to show you another picture. Jason's going to kill me for this. Every time I look at this picture, Go ahead, Brad. Every time I look at this picture, I think of what if. 
If you, if you guys don't recognize these people, that's uh, Jason, myself, and, and a couple of our friends. You see, we had this band right out of high school, and, and we were going to do great things. We actually recorded this little tape right downstairs here. We were playing concerts, and we were going to get bumper stickers ordered. And that was calling the place to get the bumper sticker order, ordered, and Jason's like, hey, I'm getting married. So if it wasn't for this girl named Shauna, who he fell in love with, you know, maybe, maybe that would have went somewhere. But that's all history, right? It's uh, all joking aside, though, sometimes we, we sweep our darker moments under the rug. We, we like to forget about them. We like to just pretend they never existed, right? We, we don't want the world to see who we, who we were, what, the kind of the, some of the things that we've been through. Let me tell you what, what's kind of sad about that is we lose the contrast between who we were then and who we've become. That, that line, that clear, distinct line of then and now becomes blurred. And, and we don't see that miraculous change. We don't see that difference. Some of us live in our history today. Some of the things that we've been through, some of the, the experiences we've had shape the decisions that we make now or the decisions we don't make, right? Sometimes it, we, we, we have this feeling that that maybe God can't love me or God can't use me because of what I've done. What happened to me in the past, there's, there's no place in me in, in God's kingdom for that, right? It's kind of a sad thing. And, and sometimes even worse, as a church, we, we tend to reinforce that sometimes, right? We, we tend to, to tell people to stay outside the building until you become different, then you're welcome here. And, and I think that that might be a little bit opposed to how we're supposed to do it, right? But have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, there was a part of you you wanted to keep behind you? Have you ever felt like there was something that you didn't want revealed? We talked about secrets a while back. It's kind of the same thing. But tonight I want to talk to you about some things in our faith, the history of our faith, right? In specific, we're going to talk about this guy named Paul and, and how Paul's history actually shaped Christianity. We're going to read about this radical, radical encounter that, that Paul had. And because of this encounter, things are different for Paul. Things are different for us the things that we do in, in the, the Bible. Um, people much smarter than me, theologians and uh, scholars, argue about when Paul was born. It doesn't even matter. He was born sometime, they think, between the year 5 and 15. Whatever. It, it, I don't even care. But he was born in this part of Turkey. You guys know where Turkey is? It's like north of Jerusalem, several hundred miles. It's called Paul of Tarsus. And when we read about Paul, we read that he's also Saul. So when you hear Paul or you see Saul up here, it's a same. Brad, you can get that picture off of there. Thank you. <laughs> um, Paul was born in Tarsus, and, and Paul was born of Jewish parents, okay? But he was also a Roman citizen. Now, not all, Roman, or not all Jews were Roman citizens. That was more of the exception than the rule. Um, to be Jewish and a Roman citizen, usually you've had to have made some type of contribution to the society, maybe you were educated, maybe you were wealthy, but not everybody was that case. So Paul, he was born as a child of two worlds. He, he completely understood Rome. He understood the government. He understood the culture, the way things happened in Rome. But at the same time, he had this lineage of devout Jewish faith. So he was born in two worlds. He had two understanding, understandings. <clears throat> now, Christianity at the same time, was also born. It was born into this Judaism in, in Jerusalem. And in this time, it was a tsunami that just shook everything up. 
it was like a tidal wave of, of new teaching and new learning. And, and we, we read about how the words of Christ weren't accepted very well by the establishment, right? We learned that, that everywhere he went, people opposed him. We learned that the things that he did, it, it just shook people up so bad that they had no idea where this guy came from, right? That was Christianity. But the, the end of it was Jesus was crucified. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to be crucified. You see, the establishment wasn't happy with that enough. What they wanted to do was drive this new teaching completely out of the city. That didn't satisfy me either. They, they had to push it even further. They wanted it out of existence. Enter Paul. This is where Paul came in. You see, Paul was at the forefront of this. Paul was, we've read the Bible and we've seen that, that he was a Pharisee, right? He says in Acts, he says in Acts 23.6, we hear Paul explaining that I'm not just a Pharisee, but I'm also a son of a Pharisee, right? It was, it was part of his culture growing up in this. The Pharisees were a group within Judaism. They were devout believers. They, 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 they would read the law and they would interpret it. They would set the standard that all the other people would follow. Okay, so Paul was in the middle of this. Paul was this guy that was setting the rules, for lack of a better word. Paul was the one that they looked up to, right? And this was in his culture. It was deep. It was embedded in. His dad was a, a Pharisee, right? Well, I have a friend that's, that's a third-generation cop. His father, his grandfather, his cousin, uh, every, a lot of people in his family are all cops, except for one brother that's a fireman. He's kind of an outcast, but... You can imagine the bond that these guys have, these, this tradition, this heritage. Well, that was Paul growing up as a Pharisee. He would have this knowledge. It was part of his family. It was part of his life. See, he was a living example of everything the establishment was at the time. Okay? Now, these are the folks, Paul, Paul's group, Paul's posse, the Pharisees. These were the guys that, the, that Jesus had so many encounters with. We, we read about having... Jesus having talks with these guys, and, and at the end of it, they would just be angry and upset when they left because the simple truth, just there was no way they could counter it, right? They were always trying to rip them up, and then they just couldn't do it, and that bothered them, them. But at the death of Christ, when they finally got their way, many of Jesus' followers were still persecuted. We talked about tsunamis. When Jesus was here, it was like throwing a pebble in a pond, right? And this ripple going outward. This wave, this tsunami, for lack of a better term, went outward and it spread and it changed the landscape of people's faith. Right after that happened, the persecution followed. Paul, like we talked about, was at the forefront. Well, Stephen, we're going to talk about Stephen briefly. Paul and Stephen had an encounter. Stephen grew up to be this great teacher. Stephen, like Jesus, was so full of God's truth. He was healing people, and, and great things were happening everywhere Stephen went, right? It made them so mad. One day, if you guys read with me in Acts 7, Paul was present at the death of Stephen. Okay, Stephen was preaching the message of Jesus Christ, and when they had enough, they took Stephen. They dragged him out of the, te out of the temple or the city, took him outside, and they began to stone him. Verse 58 says, his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of, of a young man named Saul. Okay? It goes on to say that Stephen died from the stoning. Saul, Paul, was one of the witnesses. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. 
Okay, so we get this picture of Paul as a young man growing up in two worlds, growing up, growing up as a Pharisee, having this devout prejudice against Christianity. We see him at the, at the stoning of Stephen, a man of God, preaching, and we see that he's totally okay with it, right? It's kind of the equivalent of us watching maybe a, a mass murderer be executed. It's like we don't have a whole lot of sympathy for the guy sometimes. But that's how Paul felt when he saw Stephen. Verse 1 goes on to say, on that day when Stephen was stoned, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Again, we see Paul, or Saul. We see the direction that his life is taking. This would consume him forever. Paul ended up having this reputation. He became an enforcer for the establishment. He became kind of like a bounty hunter, right? He was the go-to guy when you needed to catch a Christian. He, he had connections. We heard about how he grew up in Rome. He knew people. He had friends in government. He, they probably had money, right? But he was familiar with, the, with this Roman Empire. But, and, and despite, despite Paul, despite all the persecution that happened, the message still went out. Healing still took place. Great teaching still happened. New leaders grew up. This tsunami spread, right? It, it still spread. And, and at the same time that this was happening, Paul became even more infuriated. Just seeing this growth and this change in people probably just made him even more. It, it polarized him, right? It polarized him. He was so upset with it. Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. See, every breath, I've seen angry people before, right? Have you guys seen people that are just so consumed with something? Has that ever been you? Where, where you're so upset with something that everything, all you could think about was this anger and I'm, I'm so mad. And, and, and it just consumes you, right? What do you do when you're angry? When you've had enough? The, the Bible tells us that sometimes our words reflect what's going on in our heart, right? The things that we say reflect what's going on in our heart. Beyond that, the things that we do reflect what happens in our heart, right? Sometimes angry people, they want to they get people on their side. They want to kind of gather everybody up and let's all go be angry at this. Well, that's what Paul did. Paul is so fed up of this Christianity that he goes to the high priest. He goes to the synagogue. He asks this guy, I want a letter from you. I want you to write this letter to the church in Damascus and you tell them to help me. We're going to get these Christians, and I want you to tell them to help me round these people up. It, it might sound ridiculous, but that's exactly what happened. He gets this letter. So Paul's resolve was completely, completely unchained. Verse 2 says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. You guys get the idea that Paul's a bad dude? He, he's just so upset about this stuff, right? So Paul, he sets out on this mission. He's on the road to Damascus. He's got his letters, right? He's got this cadre of men with him. They're ready to go. They're ready to go. See, Saul is on a warpath. Has that been you? Have you ever 
been on that place where, where nobody could tell you otherwise. Everything that you were thinking, nobody could change it, no matter what they said to you, that you were just so consumed and upset with it. That's Paul. His intent was clear. Lucky for Paul, God intervened. Right? See, God encountered Paul. God came down and, and stepped into Paul's path. I, I love that about God. Acts verse uh, 3, chapter 9, verse 3. We're on the road to Damascus. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Hmm. Have you ever been stopped in your tracks? Have you, have you ever had a wake-up call? Have you ever had an epiphany? Have you ever had somebody enter into your life the moment you were about to just screw up so bad? Have you ever had someone disciple you? Paul just got told right here. You see, this point, this was monumental. This was pivotal. At this point, this encounter, this, this thing that happened to Paul would change him forever. You see, all that he was thinking, everything he was doing was to protect God. Now the maker of the universe says, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. What a wake-up call to realize that, right? Well, that was Paul. He, he saw that God has a way of changing taking us out of that position, taking us off that path of destroying our life and, and, and some of the people around us. Paul had this encounter. From this point forward, he became a disciple, right? I love the story. I love to hear how, how God reaches out to us and just does that because it gives me hope. What it tells me is that, that no matter where I'm at, I can be in the middle of being the worst person in the world. And that doesn't matter because God's love sees beyond that. It sees through that. And if you're here tonight and you have any doubt at all about whether that love is available to you, you should look around in this room because there's people here. There's people here that know, that, that have been Paul. There's people that have been on a path where, where nobody, you couldn't tell them what to do. We couldn't tell you that, that you need to change. Or you were just so one-track minded and, and God has, has done something for you. You've had this encounter, right? And things are different now. That's why this story gives me such hope. So back to Paul. The great Paul of Tarsus is on the ground. He's face down on the ground. Just had this amazing encounter with God. God came down and just rocked his world, right? His letters, are, they're falling away on the side of the road. He, I don't think he cared about them now, right? The men with Saul stood speechless. Verse 7. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked him up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Okay? So his companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. You see, Paul, he began this waiting period. God told them, go to Damascus and wait. He didn't tell him not to eat, but have, have you ever been so sickened with seeing something that you couldn't eat? Have you been so maybe sick with yourself 
that you just didn't feel like eating anything, you didn't feel like drinking anything. I would imagine that this was Paul, this, this time where he was blind, he would have three days of blindness where he would reflect on his life, on his history, on the things that he had seen. He would be thinking about going door to door, tearing these Christians out of their homes and, and throwing them in jail. He would be thinking about Stephen on the side of the road, outside the city walls. He would, he would have remembered the rocks being hurled at Stephen and him nodding his head saying, you got what you deserved. He would remember that and this guilt would build up in him. You see, this, this thing changed Paul. This encounter with God changed Paul from the inside out. He started to remember these things. But could you imagine Stephen, his last words being, God, please don't hold these guys accountable for this. That's, that's what the Bible said, Stephen, his last words were. Paul would have heard that in his head again, that this innocent man died and I was sitting there nodding my head with it. This is the part where it's, uh, it gets kind of interesting. Verse 10. Now there's a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. Seems kind of funny to me. He's like, yeah, I got him on the other line right now. Anyway. I, sh I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he could see again. But Lord, Ananias exclaimed, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul, or Ananias rather, God tells Ananias that Paul is my chosen instrument. See, I love that. I love to hear how we are chosen by God. I love to hear how we are handpicked. And it didn't matter about Paul's history. Paul was in the middle of it and God plucked him out of it and picked him. He had a reason for that. God tells Ananias that he's going to bring the message to Gentiles, kings, and, and the people of Israel. You see, we learn that he was born in, into two different worlds, that he had this history. He had these connections, right? He had this understanding of, of the times, of the government at the time. God would use that. God would use Paul's history to get into those places where, where other people just couldn't get into, right? But more importantly... They would see, the people that knew Paul would see this, this reversal, this contrast that I was talking to you about. They would see Paul as the person that they would tell their kids to grow up to be like. This is the guy we want you to be like. He, he's devout. He, he knows the rules. He, he sets the standards. This is like, they would see Paul as this person that was looked on as a go-to guy to get the Christians, right? And they would see him defecting to the other side. They, and all his friends would be like, dude, what happened to you? And, and there would be this great time for Paul to be able to explain to him what happened on the road to Damascus. He would be able to explain the contrast between his life then and now. It was monument, monumental. Verse 17 says, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength. It's kind of hard for me to tell you guys this part because we're talking about Ananias now. You see, Ananias, he was already a follower of Christ. When we read about Ananias, he was the church, okay? He was a believer. He was established. He was the guy that Paul was out to get. If God hadn't intervened on the road to Damascus, Ananias would have had a big target on his chest. That would have been the guy that Paul was looking for. You see, Ananias knew Paul's history. He told God, he's got warrants. He's coming to get me, and you want me to go talk to him? This is Ananias, right? But he had these reservations about it. He was uncomfortable with the whole thing. See, Ananias was a church. Ananias is many of us today. We're, we're in our routine. We're safe. We don't want to step out of what we have control of. Ananias is me. I, I can't tell you how much I relate to Ananias. I, I relate to him so much it just kills me because I see how hard it is for me sometimes to look past what my eyes see. It's so hard for me to look past my human nature and just listen to what God wants me to do. I'm so glad that Ananias was obedient. I'm so glad that he stepped out and he did what he was supposed to do. Because that, when, I, when I see him doing that, it gives me hope. It gives me hope that even though I'm unsure of what I need to do or, or what I see or the circumstance, that, that I can do it, right? See, Ananias, he, he set this example by being obedient to the rest of the people in the church whose fear welled up when they heard the very name Paul of Tarsus, including himself, but he did it anyway. From that point forward, amazing things started to happen. You see, Paul goes on from here and, and he becomes a, a disciple. Last week we talked about a disciple, right? What, do you guys remember what a disciple was? A pupil, a student, or follower. Paul, he became a follower. He became a follower of the way. He became a follower of Jesus. He became different. Paul did many great things that we, we don't have time to talk about. But I want to tell you, he hooked up with this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul went to these areas, these towns, these remote places. And the things that they did were so amazing, so monumental, and so groundbreaking that the people started to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they tried to bring them sacrifices. And Paul flipped out and said, don't worship me. And then they took off out of the city and just left the place. These things were so groundbreaking. God was using Paul in such an amazing way. See, Paul, he didn't, he didn't run from his history. He didn't hide from it, right? Paul exploited his skills. He exploited his history, his past, his connection. He used these things, his experiences, to go out to these places and, and accelerate the word of God. But have you ever felt like Paul? When, when you hear the, the, the story of Paul's early days, does any of that ever ring true? When you hear about a guy that's so focused on his agenda, he, he's so focused on, on what he wants to do that nothing can change that. Have you ever felt like that? 
I've had, I've had friends that, that have told me that they were that person, that they've said that there was nothing anybody could say to me that would get me to stop drinking, that would get me to stop using. Some of you are here tonight. Can you believe that? And, and I see that, and I see the contrast between that and today, and I'm just blown away by it. Because I'm, I'm Ananias. I'm the guy that was like, man, how am I going to talk to this guy? He's not going to believe me. He's not going to listen to me. But here, here's the beauty of the story, and I'll, I'll tell you why I love it so much. You see, God connected the dots. That's a phrase that we've been using around here about connecting the dots between the churches, right? God connected these dots between, between Paul and Ananias. Each of these guys had a polarized view of the other. Paul wanted to hook up Ananias, take him to jail. Ananias was in hiding from Paul. These guys were at odds with each other, and God comes into the situation. He comes down into the disordered mess and makes something beautiful out of it. He connected these two dots, and because of that, Ananias grew. Paul grew, and the message of God went out, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. You see, what we need to understand is that our history should not define who we are today. We, we can't walk away from our history. We can't pretend it never happened, right? God's going to use it. He has a history of doing that in the book. We're going to close, but I want to read you something in Romans written by Paul. Now, if you ever want to hear a guy that speaks from his heart, if you ever want to hear a guy that knows what it's like to struggle day in and day out, that, that feels like he can't get a hold, get any traction in his life, you need to read Romans 8. Romans 8 is amazing. I've been reading it for the last week, and, and every time I read it, I'm just blown away by the honesty that you see in Paul and how much of his experience has helped me today. Tonight we're going to read verse 26 through 28, and I want to talk to you about it for just a quick moment. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Is that not just so honest when you hear that? You see, we don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to know the right words to pray, the right words to say. It says here that our very aching groans are heard by God. He's listening for that. Have you ever been aching? Have you ever been aching so bad that you didn't know what to say? Have you ever felt like there was nothing that you could say to God? He's saying to us tonight that he hears even that pain that doesn't have a word attached to it. All things work together for my good. When I hear that, it reminds me that, that my history will not prevent me from knowing God. My history won't prevent me. It won't stop me from this relationship. God says in, in Romans, Paul says it, that we're pregnant inside. 
What are we pregnant with? Is it, is it a desire to know more? Is it a desire to understand him? He sets us before God, always present. You've been listening to gravitychurch.com.